Evening, everyone. Um, if you continue to read with me and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, um, it's on page 1157 in the Pew Bibles, um, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility." He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Well, good evening again. Let me pray as we come to God's word and think about this particular passage. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the great privilege we have of gathering here this evening. We thank you for the privilege of coming to your word, and we ask that as we do come to your word, you would speak to our hearts and minds, that we may be truly transformed by your love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as, as Roger mentioned earlier in the evening, we're, doing this, we're continuing this series in Ephesians. And it's been an amazing series, hasn't it? To see the wealth of God's grace, to see it displayed before us, the way in which God has reached out to us. Last week we heard that even though we are alienated from God, even though we have rejected God, God has reached out to us. And we read these wonderful words. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Just wonderful, wonderful news. We are no longer alien to God. God has reached out to us and called us to himself. God has fixed that broken relationship. But of course, that's not the only broken relationship in this world. There is a lot of brokenness, and one of the things that is broken is our relationships with one another. And Paul tonight wants to address that issue. He wants to use as his case study the people of Israel and Gentiles. And we'll examine together just exactly how that works. But as he uses that case study, we're also aware that in our world, 
there is a brokenness in relationships. Brokenness in the ways people relate to one another. A little while ago, I had the privilege of going to Israel and visiting uh, Israel and Palestine. There was one point in our journey where we went to visit Bethlehem. This is the wall that we had to go through. Such was the hate of each side for one another. They were alienated from one another. As we sat on the bus to go through, young men of 21, 22 years old with submachine guns got on the bus and they walked through checking our passports. We had to hold them up. It it was a scary moment. And there was this great sense of alienation between two groups of people. Well, Paul wants to remind us of that alienation and how we experience that alienation. He wants to provide a solution and he wants to talk about the consequences of that solution. So come with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. He says to the Gentiles he's speaking to, Therefore remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Now the way Paul is speaking here, he's speaking as if he's speaking as a Jew to the Gentiles. In fact, some of the words he used in the context he was speaking were quite derogatory. Gentiles would never refer to themselves as Gentiles. They would never refer to themselves as uncircumcised. And Paul here, I think, is picking up the language of the day which which was often used to look down on other people. And so often uh, in alienation and so often the problem with different groups of people is one group of people looks down on another group of people. Now we experience that in all kinds of different ways, don't we? We experience that in, in terms of a conflict, particularly with cultures. This mic is not working. We experience that in particularly in context with cultures. Um, we think particularly of, uh, in my previous church, we had a Korean congregation. Absolutely delightful Korean congregation. Um, I spent many Sunday afternoon eating kimchi and all kinds of wonderful things uh, together with our Korean brothers and sisters. But I tell you what, as I got to know our Korean brothers and sisters, they were extremely different, amazingly different to the way we thought. Uh, When it came to conflict, we went about it in completely different ways. Um, Those who are kind of Anglo approached conflict as, let's have it out, let's talk about it, come on face to face. But our Korean friends, no, 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 you have to go and talk to someone else and then talk to someone else and they, they might talk to the person that you're interested in talking. And we had all these kind of differences of approaches. And at different occasions, you could hear yourself, you, I could hear myself saying, well, we do it a better way. We're better than they are. And I guess that's inherent when we come across culture that we feel like we're better than everybody else. And I think Paul is reflecting that just here. He's saying, well, the Jews feel better than everybody else. They're, they're, those Gentiles, they're uncircumcised. Now, of course, we can also experience it in other places, for example, uh, in terms of uh, workplaces. 
you can kind of have that in the workplace, can't you, where someone who is, thinks of themselves as better than you. I have a number of lawyer friends, and they certainly have experienced that in their uh, particular industry, where people treat each other so badly in terms of hierarchy and putting people down. Well, Paul is noting that here in the Gentile-Jewish relationship, and he's noting that this is what takes place. What's interesting, though, is his concern. And we see that his concern is developed in verse 12. His concern is about the fact that by being exclusive, those who are Jewish are not letting people know who God is or come to a knowledge of God. Remember at that time, he talks about the Gentiles again, you were separate from Christ. Now immediately we think of the context and we think of the idea that uh, Jesus has come near. But think again about what Paul is saying. You were separate from Christ. Uh, The word is Messiah. You were separate from the Messiah. And that seems to make sense in this context because he goes on and says, you were separate from the Messiah, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, you know, all the promises that have been made to Abraham and those who followed. But worse than that, and he keeps building up the picture, without hope and without God in the world. This alienation has meant devastation in terms of people's lives because they have no connection to God. Without hope and without God in this world. It's a devastating situation. So Paul has told us about the problem. He's told us about the alienation between two groups of people and he's pointed out what it's meant for people's relationship with God. What is his solution? Well, the solution, we find, is in Jesus. He himself is our peace. Let's take take a look at what he says next. But... And if you remember earlier on in the passage, in, sorry, in, in the chapter, in chapter 2, we had another but in verse 4. But it's the same kind of thing. It's the turnaround part of the passage. But now in Christ Jesus, see what Paul does there? Now in Christ Jesus, he introduces Messiah Jesus. He turns us towards Christ. He turns us towards Jesus. Now in Messiah Jesus... You who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. I love that image in Luke chapter 15. That wonderful image of the father and the son. You may be familiar with it. A younger son takes the inheritance that he's given. He goes away and squanders it. And as he squanders it, he finds himself as a Jewish boy feeding pigs. One stage he comes to his senses and he thinks, well, maybe I can go home. Maybe, just maybe, my father will take me back as a servant. And so he goes home. And listen to these just wonderful words from Luke chapter 15. But while he was still a long way off, 
Some of the most beautiful words in the Bible, I think. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran, he ran, listen to those words, he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. You have been brought near. You have been brought near. The Father has run towards you full of compassion and thrown his arms around you. Now, of course, the Father in that uh, particular story, it cost him a lot to forgive his son. It cost him a lot to bring him back into the family. And that's the point that Paul makes here too. You have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Through the solution to this problem, the solution to our alienation from one another, cost Jesus his life on the cross. It's a costly gift. It's a costly grace that we are experiencing here. And yet we have been brought near by this wonderful gift of grace. What Paul says next, though, is unexpected. Because he says, for he himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace. Now, you might have expected Paul to say that he was the peacemaker that he brought peace in some way. Uh, we also might have expected Paul to talk about God, who is the peacemaker, who reconciled everything to himself in Christ. But here, the word is, for he himself is our peace. Now, it's a strange way of putting things, and I think Paul tries to explain what he means, although sometimes I get a little confused, uh, by what he says in the coming verses. Come with me and have a look. He says, he himself is our peace, who made the two one. Now here he's speaking of the Gentiles and the Jews becoming one. Through Jesus' death on the cross, he has made the two one. He has destroyed the barrier between Jew and Gentile. Now many people take that to mean that um, Paul is referring to the barrier in, in the temple between Jew and Gentile. Uh, Gentiles were only allowed to a certain point within the temple and Jews could go further into the temple. Maybe that's what he means. But I think we should look at the context and see what Paul says next. And I think this is what he means. He destroyed the barrier by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Now, to be honest with you, that's a pretty challenging statement. He's destroyed or abolished in his flesh the law, its commandments and its regulations. Does that mean Paul is dealing away with the whole Old Testament? Is he trying to say that needs to be put aside? Well, that would seem strange because in verse 20 he goes on to say that the church or this new community is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And then later on in Ephesians 6, he quotes the Ten Commandments when he's thinking about children honouring their parents. So there's, he's clearly not 
dismissing the whole of the Old Testament and what it has to say. And indeed, he's not dismissing the commandments either. So how do we understand what he's saying here? Well, I guess one way of coming at this is to say that the commandments that he's referring to and the regulations here which he's talking about are all tied up with the Mosaic Covenant. And I guess at this stage there is a new covenant. And in some senses that old covenant has been put behind them. Now, that's one possible way of looking at this. And so that old covenant is no longer a barrier no longer a barrier for the two becoming one. Now, I think it means that in the end, the law as scripture still has ongoing relevance to us here. But maybe it's more in terms of prophecy and wisdom and insight into the way this world works. Now, I'm happy to discuss with you afterwards about that because it is a complicated area and people have come to different solutions. I think that's not a bad solution. Other people have suggested perhaps he was talking about just the ceremonial law and that's all been dealt with. I'm not quite convinced that that is the answer. Whatever the case is, whatever has been abolished in terms of the law and its commandments and regulations, it has meant that there is now a possibility of having a relationship between Jews and Gentiles. They have become one. And Paul says the purpose of this, Jesus' purpose in doing this, in abolishing this, is to create, create in himself one new man, one new humanity, perhaps may be a better translation, out of the two. Thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Now you notice the interesting thing that Paul has done here. He's been talking about the Gentiles and he's been talking about how they've been come together with the Jews and he's been talking about how they've been alienated from God. But do you notice what he says here? And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God. Paul hasn't forgotten that the Jews need reconciliation as well. They both need to be reconciled to God through the cross, through what Jesus has done on the cross. And it's in what Jesus has done on the cross that the hostility has been put to death. Now, when you think about it, that makes sense. If we as people recognise that we are alienated from God, that we need his grace and his mercy, If all people recognise that, we recognise we're on the same playing field, at the same level. No one's better than anybody else. It's only by grace that God has reached out to us and called him to himself. There's no sense in which you're better than I. There's no sense in which your DNA is better, your education's better, your history or your family's better. We're all one because Jesus died for us on the cross. Consequently, as a result of that, Paul goes on to say, 
Consequently, he himself is our peace. And in verses 2, 19 to 21, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. You are no longer alienated from one another or from God. You are fellow citizens and members of God's household. You have received a new passport. If someone asks you where you come from, you are a citizen of heaven first and a citizen of Australia or Malaysia or Korea second. You are a fellow citizen with others who have been saved by God's grace. But not only that, you have received a new birth certificate. You are members of God's household. You are all part of the same family. And it doesn't matter what your DNA is, whether you've got similar interests, what school you're attended, what you're trying to do with your life. If you are saved by grace... You are fellow citizens, members of God's household. But notice what draws us together. Notice what draws us together. It's what Jesus has done on the cross and it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. It's as we focus on Jesus and his word and what he has done that we are drawn together. As we continue to focus on his work within our lives as we continue to recognize God's gift and God's wealth of grace towards us, we are drawn together. We are not alienated from one another. And so it leads Paul to finally say in this passage, in verse 22, and in him you are t- two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now I think it's important to hear these words because I don't know about you, we may be a family, we may be citizens of the same nation, but we're not perfect. And you may have noticed churches don't always get this right. You may have even noticed, heaven forbid, that our church doesn't always get it right. And this wonderful, gracious view of God's doesn't always seem to play out in the way that we might expect. And Paul says here, you are being built together. It's a work in progress. You are being built together. It's going to take time. But listen to what he says. To become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit Church is more than just an event. The gathering together of this group of people is more than just an occasion. It's where God is dwelling by his spirit. You wouldn't want to miss it, would you? You wouldn't want to miss the coming together with your family, with the other citizens of heaven. Because it's where God is dwelling. By his spirit. Brothers and sisters, we have a wealth of grace. 
And God has broken down the alienation between us and him. And he's provided a way through his son and Jesus' death on the cross for us not to be alienated with one another. And he calls us to be citizens and part of his family, a place where he dwells by his spirit. He calls us to a new humanity. We are no longer foreigners and aliens. We are one new humanity. Amen.